But we're so, so glad uh, that you are here to worship with us this afternoon at Calvary. Special welcome to anyone who is a guest or visiting with us. We're super glad that you are spending um, these moments with us today in worship. Now, I love the Christmas season with all of the memories, all of the uh, gatherings, all of the traditions that go with it. And I'm wondering if you have your own checklist of things that you need to happen for it to feel like Christmas. You know, for me, one of the things is I need my grandma's recipe when it comes to peanut butter blossoms. Like lots of friends have said, hey, try these. These are great. And they might be okay, but they're never as good as my grandma's recipe. Do you have any recipes like that? Maybe it's certain Christmas movies that you need to watch together as a family. This year, we went back and watched all the Home Alone movies again. Just such good stuff. Maybe it's watching Christmas Vacation and reciting every single line together. Or maybe you're like me and you want to argue with anyone that Die Hard is indeed a Christmas movie. Do you have other things on your checklist that need to happen for it to feel like Christmas? You know, every year we we hear the Christmas story Maybe we see it acted out in a play or a nativity scene or on television or in a movie. We sing about the Christmas story. Maybe we talk about the Christmas story. The thing is, I think after a while, it becomes very, very familiar. We know all the main characters. We know generally what happens. Maybe you remember back to when you were a kid and you actually played one of the parts in a nativity play. You put on your dad's bathrobe and you were like shepherd number four or something like that. But the thing with the Christmas story is that it can feel so, so familiar that it can also begin to feel predictable, right? And maybe even feel a bit dull and maybe even a little dry. I think we can sometimes start to feel like we know everything there is to know about this story. I think for many of us, we've maybe forgotten the wonder and the awe and the majesty of the first Christmas. And so what I want to do in our time together is to look again at the Christmas story so that we might see things in a new Light, and so that we maybe again can be amazed at what God has done for us in Jesus because He came on a rescue mission for you and for me. You see, that's really what Christmas is all about. Christmas is when Jesus, who is God and has always been with God, came into our dark and our broken world in order to save us from our sins, ultimately sacrificing his life for us on the cross so that whoever believes in him and trusts in him will not perish, but will have the promise of eternal life. Now, that is a big and amazing and an incredible thing to think about. But there's another incredible thing that I think even adds some more color and maybe even more relatability to the Christmas story And that's who God purposely decided to launch his rescue mission through. I think when we look at the Christmas story, we see three different groups of people that God chose 
forces that are also relatable to us today. And those three groups are these, the humble, the lowly, and the distant. The humble, like Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents. The lowly, like the shepherds who were in the fields. And the distant, like the wise men who came from the east. So let's start with the humble. As we just heard a moment ago, read from Luke chapter 2, Caesar Augustus issued a decree for a census to be taken, and everyone in the Roman Empire was required to go to their hometown in order to be registered. Now, Christmas, of course, is a time of year that many of us spend with our families, maybe even lots of extended family members that we don't see that often. But in this very first Christmas was the first and largest government-mandated family reunion in history. Everybody had to go to their hometown. They didn't have an option. And it meant seeing family members that maybe you hadn't seen in years or even decades. And so Joseph, who was in the lineage or the family tree of King David, had to go to Bethlehem because Bethlehem was known as the town of David. Yet Bethlehem was this tiny little village. It was a backwoods town. There was nothing going on there. But there was a covenant that God had made with King David many centuries before. And he told them that a king would come out of his family tree and would sit on his throne and reign forever and ever. And so what that meant is Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem in order to be registered, and Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem in order to fulfill that covenant from so many years before. And so they traveled to this little town, this little town of Bethlehem. But you know who else who else also had to go to Bethlehem? All of Joseph's family. His aunts, his uncles, his cousins, his second cousins. Every distant relative would have been there. And again, without social media, it would have been a great opportunity to connect with all of these family members. But what we find out in the story is that when they got there, there was no guest room available. There was no inn. There was no place for them to stay. So think about what that means for a moment. It means none of Joseph's relatives were willing to provide space for them to stay. There was no aunt or uncle that said, you know, we've got a little extra room at the Motel 6 We'll just kind of cram together and you guys can stay with us. Because remember, Mary was pregnant out of wedlock by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, imagine you heard that story from someone. What would you think? Well, Joseph's family thought the same thing. In the Old Testament, it was clear the punishment for adultery was that you were to be stoned to death. Now, Joseph's family doesn't want any part of that, but they're also good at something maybe many of our families are, too. They were good at being passive-aggressive. So they thought, you know, like, we're just not going to touch this. You guys go stay in a stable. We don't want any part of the mess that you've made. Not a single relative was willing to make room. 
Not a single relative had compassion on them. Not a single relative said, Mary, you know, you've been riding all day on a donkey, nine months pregnant. You look exhausted. We'll figure it out. No, instead, they kept their distance. Now, imagine what Joseph was going through as he tried to provide for his beloved Mary. Remember, Joseph was a carpenter, so back in Nazareth, he probably had the greatest nursery set up for the baby Jesus. You know, if there was an Ikea around, he would have had no problem putting all those little parts together, even with the crazy instructions you're given. Remember, Joseph was committed to his betrothed. He stuck with Mary no matter what. An angel had appeared to Joseph and said, that she would give birth to a child that they would, be, that they would name Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sins. And so it had to have killed Joseph to not be able to provide a comfortable and a practical setting for her to give birth. You know, when you think about it, it's really the most humble of settings and really the most humble beginning a person could have. But it also makes total sense because Jesus lived his entire life with great humility. His life began in humility alongside a bunch of livestock being placed in a food trough. And his life ended in humility as he hung from a cross and gave up his life. Jesus freely left the splendor and the perfection of heaven and entered in to the deep humility of our world. Now, the prophet Isaiah, many centuries before, talked about this in Isaiah 53, where he said he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. I mean, talk about deep humility, especially for the Son of God. Now, Christmas is such a nostalgic time of year. We have memories and we have movies to watch and music to listen to, foods to eat, cards to send in the mail. And I think we long oftentimes to relive the very best moments of Christmas past. Those times when the season was full of peace and calm and brightness and joy. And oftentimes, honestly, we struggle to recapture those feelings amidst the stresses and the struggles of today. I think deep in our soul, we have this longing. And even when we recapture a little bit of Christmas past, it ends up not being enough. It's not as fulfilling as we would hope it to be. Because in the end, anything in this world is just a shadow. It's just a fraction of the goodness and the fullness of God and his grace that he's shown in Jesus. And so at the very first Christmas, as they sat in this stable full of animals with their baby in a manger, even though Mary and Joseph had absolutely nothing, in actuality, they had everything. Their Christmas was made complete and it was good because there with them was God in the flesh. They were holding the light of the world, the savior of all people in their arms. Now it's so different than they had hoped or imagined or dreamed, but it was infinitely better. 
Now, Christmas can be a very difficult time of year for many of us. It can be a time of hurt when we have fractures in our relationships, whether it's our friendships or marriages or other relationships. It can also be a time of grief and longing. It can be a time of longing for a spouse or longing for a child when struggling with infertility and hearing these stories about a a baby being born. It can be a time of longing for just one more moment with a loved one who's no longer with us. Now, if that's you, if that's how you're feeling today, I want you to know that Jesus came in the most humble of ways in order to meet you where you are. No matter what you are longing for or aching over, Jesus loves you and he came for you. Jesus came for the humble, just like he did for Mary and Joseph and everyone else who would receive him. Now, Jesus had a younger brother named James. He wrote a letter in the New Testament, and this is what he had to say. He said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so you see, the invitation for you and for me is to humbly come to Jesus this Christmas. It means you don't have to hide anything at all, what you're feeling, what you're carrying with you. And just like at the very first Christmas, Jesus, who is Christ the King, comes freely and gracefully to the humble. Well, secondly, Jesus came for the lowly. Now think about the incredible news of his birth. And remember that God was ready to announce this great news to all the people of the world. Now, if I wanted to reach the entire world with a message, I'd probably hire a marketing firm and they might suggest, go find the biggest influencers that you can. Find the people with the biggest following, the people with the biggest platform and start there. But that's not what God did. I mean, he could have gone to Caesar Augustus who was over the entire Roman Empire He could have gone to King Herod, who was the king of Israel. They had the infrastructure and the power and the channels to be able to share the news far and wide. But that's not what God did. He could have gone to the temple because this is really a religious message. He could have given the news to the high priests and to the rabbis, and they'd have sermon material for decades. But no, God said, I'm going to start with the shepherds the nameless, insignificant, ragtag crew out in the fields. And so when the angel shows up to announce the news to the shepherds, he uses one word four times. Look at what he says in verses 10 to 12 of Luke chapter 2. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. These shepherds were at the very lowest of the low part of the social ladder. They were outcasts. They were despised. If you saw a shepherd on the street, you would cross to the other side. 
Shepherds weren't even allowed to give testimony in a court of law because they were so distrusted. And yet God said, this, this is who I'm going to tell first about this good news that's for all people. And so the angel says, you, four times, because they were so used to hearing and thinking, I'm just a nobody. I have no worth and no value. No one cares about me. No one cares what I have to think or what I have to say. And yet it's to these lowly people that God says, this is who I'm sharing my good news with first so that it will be crystal clear for all of time that this is a gift that is really and truly for all people. Now maybe what especially grabbed their attention was the details of Jesus' birth. The angel said he'll be wrapped in cloths, that makes sense for a baby, but he'll be lying in a manger. I mean, talk about relatable for a shepherd. And you can imagine the shepherds running to Bethlehem in order to see what had taken place. And perhaps they went stable to stable, trying to see if they could find the baby. And when they finally opened the gate and they saw two parents in the straw and they saw a baby in a food trough, they knew they were in the right place. But imagine how Mary and Joseph maybe responded, thinking, oh man, the shepherds showed up, they're going to take care of the animals, we're going to be in their way. They might have started apologizing until the shepherds explained the good news that they had heard. In that moment, the humble and the lowly are together. Now you can imagine the joy and the excitement of the shepherds. They had never been included before. They were always left out and forgotten. And yet God let them be a part of this miraculous plan that was unfolding. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, just like the shepherds. But why would he do this? It says, so that no one may boast before him. You know, I think sometimes we can think a little too highly of ourselves to think we've got it all under control, that we've got it all figured out. And sometimes we need to be humbled. We need to remember our lowly position. But I think more often, we, it's easy for us to assume that we're beyond hope that maybe we've fallen too far, that all this good news might be true for some people, but not for me. You know, if God knows everything and he knows every one of our secrets, pretty sure I'm too far gone at this point. And so today is a good day to remember that it's the shepherds who got to hear the good news first. It's a reminder that we are all sinners in need of a savior And that's precisely why Jesus came. And so it was announced to the shepherds and it's announced to us, Jesus came for you. He came for the lowly, just like us. Well, third and finally, Jesus came for the distant, 
those who are far from God. In Matthew chapter 2, we read the story about the wise men. Now, I hate to break it to you, but many of our nativity scenes are not quite correct, all right? Because the wise men didn't show up until two years after Christmas. And it never says there's only three of them. It could have been like 18, we're not sure. But you see, the wise men are described as magi, or what we would call magicians, sorcerers. They were astrologers and astronomers, and they studied the heavens and the stars. They weren't followers of God. They were pagans living in a pagan land. And so if you're keeping track in the story, it means God not only called the humble, like Mary and Joseph, he not only called the lowly, like the shepherds, but he also said, I'm going to call those pagan star worshipers in Persia, because absolutely no one is beyond the reach of my grace and my redemption. So the wise men were studying their charts and their scrolls, and they were reading the Hebrew scriptures, and they read about this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah and how it would be signified by a star in the sky. And when they saw the star, they had to set out and follow it. These men who were once far, far from God, suddenly were on a quest to draw near. When they finally arrived in Bethlehem, it's two years after Christmas Day, they came to a house and they found Mary with the child, but notice what happened. It says they bowed down and they worshipped him. Now, worship is reserved for a deity, right? You worship a god. And here, these men are worshiping a two-year-old child. Yet it's because Jesus is Emmanuel. It means God with us. He's God in the flesh. And so they rightly worshiped him. These men, again, who were once distant from God, God called out to them and he met them in person. It's another vivid reminder, a picture that no one, absolutely no one, is too far from God's grace. No one is beyond hope. No one is beyond salvation. So they bowed down, they fell down to worship him, but also to offer him gifts. Now we sing about this in some Christmas carols. They brought three very specific gifts that were very symbolic. They brought him a gift of gold. Gold was reserved for a king. Frankincense, which was used in the temple, it was something that was given to the high priest. But the most puzzling and curious gift was the gift of myrrh. Because you see, myrrh was used to embalm a dead body. It was a very expensive spice. It was one of the spices that the women brought to the tomb after Jesus was killed on the cross. Now, it's also a very awkward and weird gift to give a young mother, right? Here is a spice that you can use for your dead child, but you see, the wise men had studied the scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They knew the mission the Messiah was on. Acts 2.39 says this. 
This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So these wise men were there worshiping the child. But think for a moment who wasn't there. No one from the temple. No religious leaders or religious elites. And so church, what does that tell us? You can have religion and you can celebrate all the Christmas traditions and yet you can still miss Jesus. We all need to embrace the humble reality that our fullness is found in Christ, who came, who came on a mission to save lowly people like us, even despite our distance from him. Now, I think sometimes we experience distance from God in our day-to-day life because of how packed our calendars are, because of how busy and distracted we can be. But then there are times that we feel even more distant from God, maybe because of the guilt and the shame that we carry with us. Maybe because of a secret we have that we don't want anyone to ever find out about. See, no matter how distant you might be or you might feel, what I want you to know is that God is not annoyed with you today. God is not fed up with you. God is not done with you. No, he loves you enough to send his son for you so that you can be reconciled, so that you can be brought close to him. Now, perhaps you've never even considered that you need God in your life. Maybe that idea alone is distant from you. Well, just like the wise men, today could be the day that you worship Jesus. Today could be the day that you experience his forgiveness. You know, all of us, no matter who we are, will die one day soon. And we're going to stand before a holy and perfect God. And those who know and trust in Jesus will be given new and eternal life. So church, we're left with a question. And the question is, will you receive him? Whether you're humble or you're lowly, or you're distant, or maybe all of the above, will you receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? See, Christmas Eve could be the day that you meet your Savior. No matter your sin, no matter your past, no matter your family issues, no matter the brokenness you've experienced, This is good news for all people that will bring great joy. The Son of God came at Christmas for you. As we close out our time together, I wanna give you the opportunity to receive Jesus into your heart and into your life. And so I'm gonna simply invite you to pray a prayer with me in your heart. You don't have to say anything out loud. And this is for you, whether you're humble, whether you're lowly, whether you're distant, 
or any combination of those things. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head. And again, if you'd like to pray this prayer, just agree with me in your heart. Dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me and give me a fresh start. In humility, I receive your fullness. In lowliness, I receive your forgiveness. Though distant from you, I receive your amazing grace that reaches out and bridges the gap. Help me to follow you more closely each day. Thank you for your amazing gift of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.